This is Talking Dirty, Get Gardening's podcast for plant lovers. The video version is available on our Get Gardening YouTube channel, so you can head over there if you want to see our ugly mugs, and there are pictures of the plants there as well. There are full plant lists on our Twitter and Instagram at Get Gardening Now, so go check those out. But without further ado, let's start Talking Dirty. Hello and welcome to Talking Dirty on Tour. We have taken the 40th episode of the podcast out and about on a glorious spring day and to a garden that is very dear to our hearts. And we will properly meet the plantsman behind it in just a moment. But first, introductions. Not over at East Ruston Old Vicarage, but over there, almost within touching distance, we have Alan Edward Herbert Gray, our happy and even more handsome in real life horticulturalist. <laughs> well, it's a pleasure to be here today, but more of that in a minute. But over there, sitting very close to me, is Thordis Maria Sophia Friedrichsen, half Icelandic, but right here in Little Plumstead. Yes, we have come to not East Ruston Old Vicarage, not that Norfolk garden, but another one which is possibly filled with quite as many treasures, but in a much smaller space. It's often described as a jewel box and you can see why if you're lucky enough to take a walk around it. It is the creation of Richard Hobbs and we've talked about you a lot on this podcast, probably doesn't know, but with Jane Ann Walton, the auricular specialist, um, on our Galanthophile special, obviously, uh, Richard came up a lot. And here we are in his wonderful garden, seed seller, plantsman. What is that that you don't do, Richard? <laughs> Tell us about well, the garden. How big is it? Well, do you know, people ask that, and I have really very little idea, but somebody who was here asking the same question um, said that including the house, it was just short of the sixth of an acre, so it really isn't very big. But the thing, <laughs> the thing about it is that um, we don't waste any space. I mean, we've got a tiny bit of grass, and we've got a little bit of meadow, but um, it's full of plants. A friend of ours who's got a garden that's an acre and a half always says, you know, that we have more different plants than they do. You do? Yeah. You do? I was just thinking you probably have more different plants than I do. I mean, I've got 32 acres, but for yes. goodness sake. When you, well, I've just been looking around here um, and, um, you know, for the want of not showing my ignorance, I'm not asking too many questions, but <laughs> at least I thought I wasn't. And then I said, what's that, Richard? What's this? What's this? Yeah. And they're all new plants, but they're all want plants that I want somehow yes. or other. Yes. You know, they speak to you. It's wonderful. We try and, I mean, I've always loved bulbs. So spring is, is the most exciting time of the year for me, really. And we like growing stuff from seed. That's always been something that I've been, been keen on. Um, so put the two together. And that means in the days, I mean, things are different now, but, but you know, when we started this garden 25 years ago, I actually couldn't afford to Mm. buy a bulb for five or six quid yeah um so i bought a packet of seed and that's really how we got you know interesting different richard things. i think you've got us all into buying uh, growing bulbs from seed i yeah. mean i know you got me into doing it and i think the great thing to remember is everybody that's sitting out there is going to be thinking oh but it takes forever three to five years it's a long time but if you sow some seed every year yeah. every year that yeah. follows after the three or five years you've got another plant to look forward to that's coming into bloom. So right. really, it's an ongoing situation. Once you start, mm. oh, it, yes, it's, you, it, yeah. and it's very rewarding. Yes, and some bulbs will, will you know, propagate vegetatively. 
but others, you yeah. know, just won't. Can We've I ask you something, first of all? <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm bursting. I'm bursting, <laughs> everybody. Can you not tell? <laughs> he really is, because we, we put some of things excitement. we wanted to talk about on the table, um. and Alan has basically been itching to talk about this since we put it there. Well, yeah. I've, I've, just been, I've just been refurbishing some um, alpine troughs at home, and this little muscari here, this delightful, diminutive little darling, um, is just the ideal choice. And I want to know from Richard, um, if it, a, if it's suitable for a trough, but it looks as if it is, and B, could it be grown from seed? No, it can't be grown from seed, because ah. actually it's a, it, it, it's a hybrid, so you get a mixture from it, from seed, and you probably get some nice things. But it's called Muscari Maxabel, and it's a, it's a hybrid between Azurium and Aukari, and the one thing that's great about it, which you know, is not great about all grape hyacinths, is it's got lovely leaves. <laughs> and that, you know, that's worth a lot. Well, I know you have the national collection of muscari or grape hyacinths. Yeah. And to most people, I have to say, they are probably those untidy bulbs that yeah. produces masses of yes. foliage in the autumn. And that's then, right. yeah. then you get these little blue spikes in the spring and they spend the most of their time looking untidy. But there are just so many different varieties. There are lots. There are about 60 odd different species and we have got 185 cultivars, so, you know, there's a lot of them. And it's just a shame that the, the two thugs, if you grow one, <laughs> you probably grow one of the thugs. Well, of course, you, we're going to have this, aren't we, bulb merchants, because they're going to be selling the plants that are the, the yes. easiest, easiest the, the to, cheapest yeah, to, right. to produce. Yeah. What I'd like to know is, or I'd like you to explain, I think I know, um, the difference between a species and a cultivar. For anybody that's just listening to a podcast today and perhaps you know, they're fairly new to the world of gardening. What's the difference between a species and a, and a cultivar? A species occurs in the wild. Yep. Um, so Muscari azurium, if you go to Turkey, you'll see it. Now, there are, there's quite a bit of variation within that. So if you bring home, which you mustn't, but in the past you, you, you could and people did, brought back an odd one that, let's say, was two-tone blue or whatever, um, that would be regarded as a variety because it's a variant occurring in the wild. Yep. Having had that plant for a few years, if it then in your garden crosses with something else and produces something, it produces a cultivar, which is a variant produced in cultivation. Simple as that. So you could say it's the cultivated variety of that. It is, that's yeah. right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Um, and they will not come true to seed, whereas the species, as long as you um, keep the bee flies off them, bee flies are wonderful things for pollinating these and i mean i can't see any today but the last time i was sat here they were buzzing about on the ground <laughs> those lovely you know balls of fluff with, yeah. the, with the nose or the yeah. proboscis <laughs> wonderful yeah. things yeah. yeah i love how you keep stroking it I yeah. <laughs> well i can't stop because it is just such a it is a diminutive little darling. I mean, I've never seen anything. I've never seen a muscari that looks like that. And I've been no. to your garden several times and admired the vast range that you grow. But that is, is something else. It's extraordinary. Well, I think the other thing is, of course, you realise when you see it grown like this in a pot, that it really doesn't um, warrant a place in the garden proper because no, it no, becomes swamped. Right. Yes. And so it has to be somewhere where it's cherished, yep. either in a raised scree bed, perhaps, yep. or something like like a garden trough, an uh, alpine trough. And if so you're listening to the audio version and you're, you're not necessarily able to go and look for an image of this, the flowers are, are literally, you know, little tip of little fingers. Yes, size. they, they are, are, yes. Yeah. Uh, but clearly, uh, you know, to find little great piercings. Yeah. But it's a piercing blue as well. I mean, yes. Yes. It's the, the open bells at the bottom are a very deep azure blue, the yeah. colour of a good sky. Yeah. They are absolutely fascinating. And you see, in the garden, we've got some that are sort of, oh, 10, 15 times that size. Yeah. Mm. But 
where you can tell why they're called grape hyacinths, because they actually look like bunches of grapes, yes. you know, great big yeah. fat things. Yeah. And you've got to remember that in Holland and Belgium and places like that, grape hyacinths are a really important cut flower. So they're bred well, for the cut flower trade. I, I've never I seen them for sale. No, you do. And if you, yeah. we've seen them for sale in Hungary and Poland and places like that as well. But really, it's it's Holland and Belgium that really go in for them as a cut flower. I wonder so why these England, tall, elegant ones. I wonder um, why England never has. Yeah, no. Beautiful on no. mass. And yeah. we have another little one in the, on the show and tell table. And don't worry, we're not going to restrict show and tell to yeah. just this because there's stuff everywhere. What's this little one? Well, this. I mean, is again, this is a this is a hybrid called Morgan Himmel. Now, what's interesting about this is all sorts of things. I mean, it's a pretty little thing, but what Alan was saying earlier about tatty foliage, one of the parents of this is the thing called Muscari armoniacum, tatty foliage. Mm. It comes out in August, but the flowers are particularly. Um, well, it's a pretty colour. Mm. It's a lovely, lovely colour. Yeah. It's, it's got that unfortunate habit that as the flowers come to fruition, rather like an allium, the, the basal goes foliage off. goes right. off. Yeah. And the other reason for that is that actually I had this in the, in the greenhouse and I ran out of space in the greenhouse, so I evicted it outside, so the frost actually has caught ah, the tips as well. Yeah, but, uh, yes. yeah. And these well, two that's something, something, Sorry, that's something to bear in mind, I think, for people, you know, especially at this time of the year, because we've had, you told me a little while ago, the 14 successive nights, you've had 12 nights yes, of frost. Yes, yes. That's something for people to bear in mind, I think. If you're bringing plants out of a greenhouse, even if it's a cold greenhouse, yeah. They, yep. The foliage can be affected because it is slightly tender, um, so beware if you're doing that. Or go out with the, with the fleece or the newspaper yes. or whatever. But yes. actually, I say that, that, that what we've had there recently, that you wouldn't no. make much difference, to be honest. Mm. I was just going to say that the, the two we've looked at so far are blue, and obviously the primary association with great parsons might be that they're blue, but you, your range incorporates uh, many yes, more colours. Yes, we've got white ones, brown ones, yellow ones, <laughs> pink ones. I yeah. The one that intrigues me, you'll know the name of it, I don't, of course, but it it has sort of purpley mauve flowers and yet would turn yes. yellow. Yes. Is that That's correct? macrocarpum, and ah. it also... I mean, That's it, a common old thing, go on. It, it's, um, no, no. No, it's not. And it's, it's quite interesting because it grows in cracks in rocks in Greek islands. Oh, right. Um, and it smells of bananas. <laughs> I mean, quite extraordinary. I mean, not just, it, it smells of synthetic banana. Yeah. You know, that yeah. rather nasty the smell. Stuff you put in milkshakes. <laughs> yes. <that's laughs> <laughs> uh, but definitely smells of bananas. Yeah. And anybody who's watching or listening who's anything like me is undoubtedly hearing you talk about perhaps some of the muscari we're not necessarily going to have a place for or be able to get hold of but they're going to be thinking oh i want to expand my collection i want to grow some that are going to be good doers that are going to be well behaved yeah. what are your kind of more accessible muscari that people should grow well there, i mean there are quite a lot that are, that are easy to get hold of and we were saying about about the dutch ones that are grown for the cut flower they they are pretty good actually they're well behaved things they're not going to eat you out of house and home and you want to be looking for things like venus and peppermint peppermint is the most beautiful elegant long long spike um, so there's, there's there's actually quite a lot and if you see anything that's called alkari something um, of which there are several that, that get into the glossy catalogues you know um, then you'll get good foliage and you won't get Lots of bulb bills. That's I have seen Alcarive in several of the bulb catalogues, yes, actually, yes. but I didn't realise that it was a kind of a, a 
pre uh, good quality kind of thing. You yes, know. it is. It's, it's, it's yeah. a good no, pedigree. that's a good, a good one to, to go for. Mm. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Bear now, that in mind. Now, obviously, <laughs> national collection holder of Muscari, you might think that around the camera we just have a sea of little grey pythons, but it is far from that. I mean, everywhere you look, pulmonarias and tulips and pulsatillas to die for and polyanthus. Uh, just fritillaries under the tree, obviously, yes. in the meadow area. Yes. Um, such, such a collection of plants. We'll come on to Flomo later. I'm very interested to hear what you don't have because it can't <laughs> be much. But I mean, how, how has your plant collecting changed over the years? Did you always start with these things? Obviously, there was a lot of bulb appreciation going on in the early days and growing, yes. growing from seed. I mean, I think you do, I mean, you do um, develop your taste. And, and I was, I think I was a much neater and tidier garden in, when I started than I am now, actually. I'm much... Self-sown seedlings. Yes. Self, I mean, the... the <laughs> That what it's you know lots of people have been asked the question you know what makes the difference between a um, a good garden and a very good garden and and how they treat self-sown seedlings you mm. know I mean I think that's actually a pretty good yeah good judge though I do like um, Jeffrey Smith was asked you know what makes a good garden he said sweat <laughs> <laughs> which I think sort of brings you down to basics and yes you know um, to garden this way when you actually let things seed around it, it does make more work there's no question actually, about that i actually thought it was horses that sweated yes well yes gentlemen perspire but ladies merely glow no i'm sure jeffrey right smith now. i'm sure jeffrey smith sweated though yes <laughs> <sighs> yorkshireman yes he also i mean he also um, somebody was asking him about you know um, garden designers and he said um, he said you've got to remember that gardening is, in fact, he got it right this time. He said, uh, you know, it's 10% it's inspiration, 90% perspiration. Yes, yes, yes which yes. is another good one. Yeah. But yeah, I think the inspiration yeah. thing ties in with the self-sown seedlings. Because I don't know about anybody watching or listening, but I absolutely love plants that set, set seed yeah, and I really yeah. want to keep that going. But then my garden often just ends up being really scruffy because I'm not very good at editing. And that, that's where that's, the skill comes in. That's it. And, and it... I mean, this sounds as if I'm bragging, cause, but I'm not. But you've got to be able to, you know, you've got to be able to tell what's a grass seedling and what's a, a let's say, a fritillary seedling mm. or a tulip seedling. And you have to actually hang on a bit. I mean, ahead of us um, are a lot of tulips, and I love them. They're just, I think, beautiful things. And they seed around, but we get a few too many. And every year I take some, I take some out. Um, but don't do it too early. Wait until you're certain you know, what it is. Mm. One of the things that really annoys me about gardening, I, mean, I had a conversation not so long ago with somebody who was saying, um, you know, well, I don't mind paying my gardener whatever it was an hour, but when they're doing something, you know, like weeding, she said, I'm not going to pay them that. And I said, well, actually, weeding is the most skilled <laughs> job in the garden, <laughs> you know. Don't weed anything out until you know what it is. She wants to see sweat, Richard. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah. And you're right, things like alliums. I mean, it, if you don't know what you're looking at, that, yeah. does, that yeah. doesn't look like And there are some alliums that are thugs, but they're not all. They're mm. not all. We've got a, a golden form of ransoms in the corner of the garden. You put it in the right place. Yeah. Stunning thing, and it ransoms does. is poor man's garlic, yeah. isn't yes. it? Wild garlic, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty thuggish yeah. in the white form, is yes, how, that's how right. Is the other form? Well, no, it's it's you know, fine. Um, 
And it looks so lovely. I think it's slightly less vigorous than, it than is, the it green It is less vigorous. Yes, yes. It is less vigorous. But you see, me like a fool, I go off to visit Guernsey, the island of Guernsey, with friends staying, and or we, I, we were staying with some friends there, and all along the verges. I mean, you know, this is suddenly this island in the channel, in the English Channel, and with you know, a short hop from England, they're growing things there that I didn't think it possible. A, a, a garbage outside, for instance. Yeah. Um, yeah. What's that narcissi we grow at Christmas time? Oh, paper whites. Paper, paper whites. whites lining the garden path of little yeah. cottages, indeed. Yeah. And Allium triquetium, of course, which is on yes. every verge yeah. of yeah. the road. And I got a handful of this. I don't suppose I was supposed to do it. You didn't hear that. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is many years ago. <laughs> I pulled a handful and, and took it home, and I planted it, and of course it multiplied, and I, I distributed it around the place. And I put it around the, 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 the gate, the entrance yeah. to our garden. And it's seeded like mad. Yes. But it's lovely. I still love it. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. it's just a little three-cornered stem and these yeah. lovely little white yeah. flowers, like, a bit mm. like white bluebells to look yeah. at, I suppose, in a but way. The paper whites, I mean, it, it's such a lovely group of plants. And there is one that, certainly in East Anglia, you can grow quite nicely. And that's, it's nowadays called Paparaceus um, panasianus. Mm. And that grows in Spain. And you get both together so you get the proper paper white and panasianus one growing in cracks in rocks in sunny spots and the other growing in wet meadows <laughs> now the wet meadow one we can grow and we yeah. have it we've had it in the garden here i've had it for 25 years and it's just a magical magical thing yeah smaller than your ordinary paper white only gets to you know sort of what i don't know 20 centimeters something like that but the scent Mm. And the whiteness is just stunning. Really I've got one good. that I grow these rust, and we grow it at the bottom of a wall that faces east, I suppose. Yeah. And it's underneath the sheltering branches of an Edgeworthia, and right. and uh, uh, and another place as well, similar sort of situation. But because I think it gets that little bit of overhead shelter, that yes. saves it. Yes. So it yeah. never gets really, really bad frost where yeah. it's growing. Yeah. While we're on the topic of Narcissus. We must bring, actually I'm going to get hold of two hands because I don't want anything to happen to it. We must bring this to the party. Tell us about this, Richard, because it's amazing. Well, there's a, an Irishman who breeds an awful lot of daffodils and he used to constant, well he still does up to a point, but he was entirely known for his um, exhibition daffodils and big, you know. Vulgar. Slightly vulgar, <laughs> yes. I mean, perfect, but but... And then, I suppose, I don't know, perhaps as he got older, he's um, started to hybridise some little fellas like this. And this is just a fantastic thing. It's called More and More. And it's got the rush leaf. I the stroking yeah. the leaves, because the I leaves was. are really characteristic. Um, one of the parents is, is Narcissus asuanus, the rush-leafed jonquil. And it's just a beautiful little thing. But it's called more and more because, I mean, there's not many bulbs in there. We've had it a, a few years, um, but you get lots and lots of flower per bulb. And the scent, the scent's great. It's really, really good. Oh, it's heavenly, yeah. yes. Yeah. Yes. So this is very like some of the things you find in the wild in, um, in, the, in southern Spain. Well, that's another plant that deserves elevating, bringing it up to nose level, if you like, yes. or putting it yes, in a trough or right. something. Yeah. Um, to yes, keep it troughs safe. and raised beds. I mean, yeah. the thing that these like, it's interesting that most daffodils, when you see them in the wild, they've got their feet in water, but these jonquils are in hot sunny spots. Right, yeah. Yeah.
And I do like how obviously you've got a lot of a lot of things in the beds, but you do have plenty of tables and ladders and things to display on. Well, We've like got little miniature auricular theatres. Yeah, watering do. must be quite a well, quite a it job. It is, and and I mean, what's fascinating is that of course we're not normally having to water quite so much at this time I think of the this year. This is the driest really? April yeah. on record yes. so far. Yeah. So, mm. um, yes, we do have to do a, a fair amount of watering. But the one great thing about doing that is that it forces you to look at the plants. Yes. Very easy, especially yeah. at this time of the year, whether you've got a big garden or a small garden. Um, it's a busy time of the year. and Weed yeah. seeds and uh, goodness, yeah. everything is happening. Yeah. But it forces you to stop and look. So you look at the little fellow here yeah. and you look at that charming little mascara. You look at it properly rather than just glancing at and moving yes, on because it's no to. good watering these with the with the hose pipe and a spray no. um i've got a i've got a, an old um, coffee pot <laughs> and <laughs> and i um, you need to check because you can overwater them very very yeah. easily and yeah. they'll rot off um you know very very quickly yeah, so I you think need to be touch careful i think it's probably what i did with my um, Tropiolum tricolor, ah, yes. because that's quite tender in a way, yeah. although it's, it's yeah. verging on hardiness. But um, you know, it, it dies down. It's dying down now already, and you harvest. Then you harvest the tubers. And when I I left the tubers in the pot, probably until June, June, July, I went to harvest them, and there was nothing. But there was a perfect skin. Ah, yes. The whole nothing middles in. had gone, yes. and I think mm. I overwatered them, and yeah. they rotted. Yes. I mean, it's separate, worth. No, my tropiolum uh, smithy eye. Smithy eye. Still flowering on my windowsill because <laughs> I haven't put it outside yet, but I've been hand pollinating it and I think I've actually got a seed pod. So Whoa, oh, good. That's another interesting you know, truism about gardeners that more things are killed by overwatering yeah. than underwatering. Mm. Yeah. Really. I said that to, to um, a woman who works in my greenhouse because she comes and helps me when I need it to do lots of repotting and yeah. um, cuttings and things. And I, she said, These have not been watered. I said, Well, that doesn't matter. Jenny, it's far better to underwater than it is to overwater. Now, beyond the camera, we've alluded to these wonderful clumps of tulips that you yes. grow. Uh, tell us about those, because I know they stopped Alan in his tracks earlier, not least because he coordinates with at least one of them. <laughs> it's a wonderful shade of pink. Well, in well, the garden with so many glorious plants, it'd be difficult not to. <laughs> well, we're looking at a, a, a pink hybrid called Little Princess. Now, the thing about that is that um, I mean, one or two of the bulbs in this garden will cost you a bit of money to buy as bulbs. But that, you could, you know, you can buy a hundred of those for 15 quid or something. It's called Little Princess and it's just a fantastic thing. Next to it was the thing called Persian Pearl, which has gone over now, which is a hybrid of the same parentage, which, was, which is deep purple. They're really lovely, lovely things. But my favourite is, is this one that we're looking at, Orphanidia flava, um, seeds around. Now, this is where things get a bit tricky. I, I, when I started collecting bulbs, you know, I had a, well, still have a very good friend who, who used to say to me, oh, well, that came from Lord so-and-so, and that came from Sir Thingity Whatnot. And I thought, oh, God, what a load of snobbishness. But actually, <laughs> where it comes from, matters. the provenance matters. And that is not the form that comes from the Dutch bulb companies. That is from wild collected seed from a chap called Hoog, a Dutchman, but a long, long time ago. And it's a totally different plant and much, much better 
than the commercial one. And I'm afraid that's a problem with bulbs, that oh. some of them are not, are not true in commerce. Gosh, you need to do your research. Well, you do, you, you, you know? do. Yeah. Um, so that is a, a, a very, well, it's a great favourite of mine, yeah. no, but we do that. have slightly too many of when them. It's, <laughs> when it's open, it's the showiest, brightest, glowiest almost, yes. the, the little yellowy orange thing. But as it closes up, the outer petals have got a green stripe yeah. on yes, them. Yes, the green, I know, green it's lovely. And there's smart. a tiny bit of black in the middle. Mm. Yeah. 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 Of course, I mean, over the years we've done a lot of radio together and you always seem to, not this year, but yeah. to have been coming back from some fantastic trip yes, and leading no, these sort of botanical right. holidays. Yeah. And it, it must be, A, wonderful to see all these plants in the wild. I mean, yes. we talked to Bletherden and Sue of Crook Farm Plants about that idea of seeing them in their situation. And it must also inform how you grow them and, and give you some help and insight. Yes, it does. Um, particularly with with bulbs because we tend to go I mean one of the the interesting things about doing wildlife holidays um, wildflower holidays is that you tend to go for all sorts of reasons out of season you go early or you go late so actually you see a lot of bulbs mm. um, so many of these things that we've got in the garden we've seen in in the in the wild which is you know just fabulous really it, that's seeing garden plants in the wild is what really gets me excited to be honest and we haven't been away for I a year and more. I know, year, mm. um, yes, year and a bit. And we, we were supposed to be going to Georgia in June and we're not. But we, with any luck, we're, we're going to um, Sicily in, in um, September. Well, and that, that could be good. And daffodils. Mm. Oh, I'm looking forward to seeing yeah. little autumn <laughs> flowering daffodils. See, a lot of people don't realise that daffodils start flowering in the autumn, do they? <laughs> yeah. And the other thing I was just going to say, picking up on what you said about seeing vast expanses of these lovely wild-grown bulbs, I mean tulips or call it whatever you will, whatever yeah. you will it doesn't matter. Um, and I, I was visiting a very dear friend, Anne, we were talking about her earlier yes. today, and she said, yes, but if you see that growing in the wild, then great sheets of it. Mm. And I think, but isn't it a shame we can't have great sheets of it in our gardens? Yeah. But well, you can't, of course, right. because no. it's not possible. But, no. but, you know, no. but I suppose that seeing them in the wild and then having it in your garden, it reminds you of just how beautiful it is yes. when you see it growing naturally. Yeah. And yeah. it's not the same as seeing it, but I, uh, I do often do the odd Google image search. I, I remember years ago buying, um, is it a dodecathion, that little sort oh, of yes, shuttlecock yes, flower, yes. and Googling that and seeing somewhere, I think possibly in North America, absolute yes. sheets of it. And it's such an extraordinary, it's a bit like your jumper, such an extraordinary pink. Yes, and yeah. carpets of that, it's, I can't even imagine seeing that. They are fabulous, because we've seen those in Canada. and. <sighs> you're travelling on, you see just pink fields of it. But the nicest one I think of that is a little thing called Coixia which is about that big and it was just fantastic so we've got a white one actually it's just popped out today in in, in one of the um, in one of the troughs yeah oh. yeah and interestingly I mean some of those are very difficult to grow and some of them are very easy and Dodecathian media which we now should be calling Primula media they've all been oh dear. lumped <laughs> I know they've all been lumped together so Androsaki um, and Various other things have all gone into gone into back into Primula. Yeah. Um, well, that brings on nicely to some <laughs> some other flowers. Yeah. Um, and I'm not going to get confused between you know Primulas, Polyanthus, all of that. It's beyond my right. In yeah. fact, do you want to do an explainer for us? Because it gets very confusing all the different flowers within that sort of group. Yes, I mean the, the Primula. Well, let's, let's just talk about this one first of all. Yeah. Then we'll get onto the. Because I mean, this one. You can't uh, wait. No, I can't. <laughs> but it has that wonderful sort of greyish cast to the mauve flower with the 
vibrant cream centre to yeah. it. It's lovely. Well, this was just, I just picked it out of a batch of seedlings yeah. and uh, bought, this was, I mean, it's, we tend to grow a lot of stuff from seed. We buy stuff from specialist nurseries, but we still go to garden centres and rootle around. And this mm. was found at a well-known garden centre in a batch of pretty ordinary um, auriculars. And this one we rather liked. Interestingly, you know, the auricular buffs would turn their noses up at this because yeah. the old florists' um, auriculars and the named auriculars um, had to be thrum-eyed, and this is a pin-eyed one. It's all to do with, with pollination, but you get some where the female part sticks out and you get some where the male part sticks out. Um, so this is a pinned one, and pin ones were very much in for a dig. But it's just pretty. <laughs> Just well, I, I, if, if it's in for dig, I'll have it. <laughs> <laughs> and if primulate auriculars are your thing, I, in a couple of weeks' time, we haven't um, recorded it yet, but we will have an auricular special with Jane Ann Walton. So you can see the, the ones yes, with the, all the different eyes. Oh, yes. <laughs> but this, in, in comparison to um, the Jane Ann's auriculars, probably, which have, have to have, have some form of cosseting in the winter, yes. for instance, to, to keep the, the weather off them yeah. and things like that. This is an easy this one. Is this is a border. This is a border oh, auricular, yeah. which means that you can grow it in the border. Yes. 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 Yeah. yeah. So now you, you've managed to put it off, but I do still want my answer. <laughs> right, well, I mean, a primula is, is, is a, the, it's the scientific name of a whole group of, of, of plants. Where it gets, gets interesting and complicated is that primroses will, will produce a range of, of plants, some of which will just have one flower at the end of its, of its stalk. And those tend to be called primroses or primulas. And the ones that have lots of flowers at the end, which are often hybrids with oxlips or cowslips, tend to be called polyanthus. So, I mean, poly means many. If it's only got one, you call it a primula. If it's got lots, you call it polyanthus. Yeah, um, I, I quite often sort of see, see wild, well not wild, but, but seedlings that have grown in the garden and they're probably the same colour, but they look like primroses at the base and an oxlip yes. coming through the middle. Now, yeah. is that on the same plant? I haven't looked. Is it on the same plant or is probably it a group not. of seedlings? It might well be a group of seedlings. Uh, yes. But in the wild, and non we were walking the other day on a railway bank which was covered in primroses and um, you know, a bee had been in somebody's garden and you get these oh. sometimes beautiful, uh, I like the ones that have got a sort of slightly greyish pink flush to oh, them. Oh, dirty knickers, yes, I know yeah. what you mean. Yeah. Oh, peach. So I saw some lovely peachy ones the other <laughs> yeah, day so and I'm a whole range, and you could see because there was a dark, we talked about it on our, on mm. our last podcast, dark pink <laughs> and yellow and, and they'd all, you could see the whole yeah. range. It's yeah. like someone had been doing watercolours and mixed you know, all the colours. I'll tell you a story and I, tr I tr did try this at home because my uncle, he was an enormous practical joker, he said to me, if you want to turn your primroses pink, what you do is you actually, you take... <laughs> you, I know where this is yeah, going. <laughs> you dig them up <laughs> and you get a cow pat and you bury the cow pat and you plant them upside down, cover them with soil and next year they'll be pink. They weren't. They weren't. <laughs> they died. It didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Now the other thing I want to talk about, I always associate your garden, well actually there's not just one thing, there are a lot. I always associate your garden with pulsatillas. Yes. And I know some people I've struggled in the past. The best pulsatilla I think I've ever seen, I've told you, was growing in the cracks of a paving. Um, and it just seeded yeah. itself there and, and loved it. And I've 
killed several in the garden. So what's your secret to such fantastic pulsatillas? Well, I mean, the first thing to say is that the, the ones that flowered a week ago are not looking that fantastic. The ones that have come out since are okay. But if you look at our clumps, the lower flowers are in good condition and the brownie ones on the top, frost. that's the frost. Mm. And one night, the, the whole lot that were out got, got clobbered. But what do pulsatillas um, need? When you see them in the wild, and, and we're not very far away from wild pulsatillas here because, well, you're much closer because the Devil's Dyke, which comes out of Cambridge and goes to Newmarket, yeah. that is the place to see pulsatillas. Or if you want to go towards Peterborough, um, a fabulous site called Hills, Hills and, and Holes has, has got them and it's just, they're, they're lovely, lovely places. So those are both limestone or chalk and they're open, quite hot, sunny spots. Now we don't do hot, sunny terribly well here, so we have to put them in the right sort of, the right sort of place. We used to have lots of different species, but as the years have gone by, we're, almost everything you see are homegrown seedlings. Though we've got, uh, in that direction, we've got some with, with um, divided petals, which are the Papagena strain. And then we've got pink ones and white ones and dark ones. Um, and there's a wonderful blue one called Budapest, which I saw in a garden the other day. And um, the ladies said, I said, where did you get that from? And uh, she said, oh, well, I've been on a waiting list for 15 years. Oh, goodness me. <laughs> She knew what she was buying. She knew what she was buying. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But they're, they're just beautiful things. We, you talked about the Papagenia strain because I've noticed that there's seed available of that, for instance. Yes, so you can is. grow yes. them from seed. Oh, you seed. can. They're, they're very easy from seed if it's fresh. If. If, oh, ah. I see, it's yes. It's just got to be fresh. Yeah. So, you know, it's an autumn sowing job, yeah. really. Yeah. Well, there are uh, several seed companies. I'm thinking of um, well, uh, um, special plant, Terry Watkins. Terry Watkins, Terry Watkins thank Watkins, you. Yes. I mean, she does a seed list for autumn. I think probably you do too, yes. don't you? Yes. Um, which is useful to know because if you want to grow plants from seed and you want to do it properly, you, you've got to sow them at the right time. time yeah. So seed that needs sowing fresh from this year's harvest will be sent out to you in the autumn. And that's the time, that's the time to sow it. Yeah, I mean, your seed company, obviously, we've sort of alluded to it, but that must be a huge amount of work alongside maintaining this. And you have, it has a lot of different responsibilities. You have many hats, well, it's, not just this one. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yes, excuse my silly hat, but uh, it's been much easier for seed not going away because um, I had to decide, am I going to harvest it before we go or should I wait till we get back? And you often got it wrong. And if you miss, I mean, hellebore seed, you leave it three days and it's yeah. vanished. Yeah. Lathras vernus is my, my bet noir as far as that goes. I'm always just too late. Yes. And the pods have gone curly, curly and sprung. And sprung. And then yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a plant that's looking lovely at the minute. They're just coming up the Lathras vernus. That again is... The spring vetchling. Oh, the spring vetchling. And it's just, it's perennial. It doesn't climb. I mean, people think of peas as climbing yeah. and swing mm. peas, but no. And they come in good blues purples and, 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 and also pinks, pinks and whites. Pinks and whites, yeah. We used to have a pure white one, but I haven't seen him this year. No, I haven't got pure white. I've got the, the white, which is tinged yeah. with pink. But interestingly enough, there was a young chap came to the garden on Sunday and he was with this young family, you know, a child on his sort of shoulders and one in a pram and a pushchair and all the rest of it. And yet I suddenly thought, 
he started asking about this spring vetchling and he didn't know it. He hadn't mm, seen it yeah. before. But I suddenly thought, my gosh, there's an interest. That, that, yes. you know, yeah. And when I talked to him, his father, grandfather had been a gardener mm -hmm. and his father had grown vegetables and, mm. and did the garden at home and everything else. And he carried on this tradition. Mm. So there are young people out there. I mean, yeah. we think, tend to think that young people are not coming into horticulture as much as they used to. Um, but I wonder if, a lo if lockdown might actually redress that balance a little bit. Yes. People have definitely been trying to cultivate their spaces. Obviously, a lot of people, I suppose, nowadays start with growing food, and so they'll sort of maybe start off with some veg, which obviously you're very good at as well on your allotment. Well, I tell you what, I'd much rather grow a pot of this because it's better for the figure. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, the allotment... The allotment has got an awful lot of grape hyacinths in it. It's got an awful lot of colchicum in it. It's got about 50 different agapanthus varieties in it. So it's not like your normal allotment, I'm afraid. But we do, I mean, we do love our fruit. So our gooseberries, currants, apples and, um, and rhubarb. And because we force rhubarb, I think, is just yeah. oh, a joy. Mm. I mean, it's finished now. We, we've taken the covers off and that's that's it for this year but yeah. uh, it's a really good crop and if you haven't forced it I mean it, and it's you just need to buy a couple of um, of zinc um, dustbins and they're not that I mean new ones they're not that expensive no, it's they're well not. well worth it. In actual it. fact you can buy black plastic I shouldn't advise people buying plastic probably but you can buy black plastic ones with a hole in the bottom yeah so that yeah. you don't get a horrible mess in the bottom of a dustbin which you sometimes mm. do and mm. all you've got to do is put turned upside down make sure it's secure by putting some posts around yeah. it yeah and then cover the top yeah. and you've excluded the light yes. put some straw in it make it nice and cozy <laughs> and then you'll find a rat now you see well <laughs> It's interesting. I've never put straw in it. Oh, haven't and you? No, and I've got a friend who puts straw in it, and they get slugs if they put straw well, in it. Yeah, but and it I, figures, doesn't it? Yes. I mean, I, I wouldn't worry about the straw, personally. Yeah. Yeah. This goes back to the Charles Dowding podcast, where he was avidly following the advice from, I think, someone, whoever, wherever they were in the world, was it America? They didn't have a slug problem, so they were mulching with lots of straw. Yeah, he did the same yeah. thing, and everything got eaten by mollusks, because yes, obviously we yes. have way more than some yeah. other... Other places. And something Richard told me today is that um, a little child used to come to the garden, I think it might be a grandchild, and dig around and pull the snails out oh, of yes, the crevices. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Where you've got a raised bed, you know, one yeah. stone upon the other. And the other thing that Charles Downing said, if you've got a raised bed, of course, do beware because at the edges where it's dry and warm, that's where the marauding mollusks will congregate. They'll hi hibernate yeah, there, yeah. slugs and snails, um, and then soon, soon as you know the weather warms up, phew, Munchy crops. Straight there. Yeah. I mean, with so many diminutive darlings, as Alan would call them, around, you must have to do quite a lot of mollusk patrol, or have you just got a great ecosystem going on? We let it get, let them get on with it. Mm. I mean, I say that we 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 don't allow mollusks in the greenhouse; they get um, dealt with. And it's interesting. I learnt something the other day. We we've got a group of volunteers that that we're Sally and I are part of at the the wall garden in Little Plumstead and something I'd never heard of before but somebody brought some plants she's a very good gardener is Ruth and she she said to me she said well I don't want those plant, plant pots back but I do want those back because they've got flat bottoms and and I thought for a minute and she said because the flat bottom ones don't get slugs underneath them and you know she's absolutely yeah. yes. she's absolutely no, right. No, and if yeah. you look, yeah. there's an awful lot of plant pots that aren't flat bottoms. Yeah, they've got little little yeah. ridges. So she was yeah. sorting through our pots to find the the flat bottomed ones. 
Oh, that so is I'm, genius. The I'm, amount of times yes. when you eat something gets eaten and you turn it over and, and there the is bottom. the culprit. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> when Richard said he doesn't do slugs and snails <coughs> in the greenhouse, I quite agreed with him because when you're growing plants in cell trays, I mean the cell trays have got lots of divisions underneath and I quite often turn them up and there are two slugs sitting underneath there and you think, well, I would never have known because they're not, they're not going to be m munching away until it's dark, are they? Yeah. Mm. And they can if they get in amongst seedlings, they can destroy yeah. the whole lot in mm. a very, well, one night, really. Yeah. And we'll get the camera and get into your greenhouse for a little look, I think, because... Um, it, but see. look at, I mean, <laughs> there's not a lot to see, as you will be able to see if you look at the video version. There's an awful lot in well, there. So what is in there, then? Well, there are an awful lot of, of bulbs, seedling bulbs, um, batches of seed of all sorts of, of peculiar things. Um, I've just sown the sweet corn and the courgettes and I've got 50 pots of ornamental goods in there and all sorts of things. <laughs> it's so a jolly good job you have an allotment. In oh it? it is, yes, yes, yeah. Well it's funny we have the, we've got the garden open this, this weekend and we had the BBC visiting last weekend gardeners um, no less yes so <laughs> so that means that that we have we normally have plants all over the place so we've been moving plants backwards and forwards um so we've got rather more at the allotment now than yeah. uh, mm. than we usually usually do we couldn't survive without the allotment no 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 because i mean when you have a garden like this dual boxes it is You've got to have space to grow on, to pot, yeah. to, to divide, to, yeah. uh, and you, you need somewhere for the mess, Richard. Yeah. Yeah. Should, and, and these things, you know, in, in six weeks' time will just be empty pots, and um, they, they sit at the allotment. I mean, we've got plunge beds at the allotment, so I plunge them into, into sand, which keeps them just that little bit moist. We don't have to worry about them and they warm up and ripen and then we, we bring them back again in the autumn. Yeah. Oh, well, repot them and bring them back, yeah. There's so much to talk about and we obviously don't have the entire day, though to be <laughs> honest, we could just sit here, the sun's rather nice. I've seen some lovely looking, I mean I've got terrible eyesight, but I think they're Scylla's over there, over Alan's shoulder, and I feel like we should talk to you about Scylla's because yes, you know your stuff. And we've, we've got a, we grow, uh, we grow a ridiculous number of Scylla's, but you're, you're you know, that saying that, you're too early for some and too late for the rest. <laughs> but you've missed the Scylla period, really. We've got a few still out. Um, but a month ago, I think I counted um, 17 different species of Scylla in the garden. But that one is, um, is actually one that seeds around very, very nicely, really. Like but it's a lovely... A lovely thing. Not bithynica, is it? It is bithynica. Bithynica, but, yeah. But I think you've got some as well. Yes, yeah. I've got. I've, I bought from our friend Joe the pale form of it. Ah, yes. He had yes. the pale form. I yeah. had the ordinary blue one, which yeah. I got from the Cambridge Botanic Garden, and we planted some clumps of it. And the lady gave it, who gave it to me said, "Are you sure that you want this?" And I said, mm. "Yes, I needed yes. to self sow in the woodland, yeah. which it did." Mm. And then we had a very, very fastidious da Danish lady, and she did some weeding, and she pulled everyone up. Oh. But there were seedlings. Yes. And so yeah. it re-established yeah. itself, thank goodness. No, it's, for, for a small garden, it's, it's a slightly dangerous plant, that particular one. But it's great in a hedge bottom or something like yeah. that. I mean, but, but it's so pretty. You know, it really is very, That's very subject pretty. subject of interest. <laughs> I mean, it brings me back to seeing um, a plant called Jack by the Hedge. Yes. But growing under hedges, in hedge bottoms. 
I mean, there are an enormous number of plants that would benefit from growing in such a sheltered position because it's in a rain shadow. Well, Jack Butterhedge or garlic mustard, um, yeah. if you go into the front garden, you'll find that along the fence we always leave it there yeah. because the... the um, that's what the orange chip butterflies, you yes. see. Ah, yes. yeah, yeah, the orange chip butterflies. Yeah. So it, we always leave that. Um, there's usually about 20 plants of it in there. We haven't seen an orange tip yet, but we have. Oh, I saw, I saw, I saw oh, did you? This morning. This morning, yeah. right. The dogs, I mean, I'm so conscious of butterflies because my two pups are um, eight months old now and they, they love chasing them. They never catch them, of no. course, but I mean, they just love chasing <laughs> yes. them. But woe betide the flowers, pew, straight yeah. through. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> my favourite is when they chase the shadow. They don't even know they're not oh, chasing right. the they butterfly, just yes. chase the shadow yeah. on the ground. I like this idea of. Um, Talking about the, the scillas that flower at different periods, when we did our Narcissus special, I hadn't, I'd failed to realise that really you could have Poeticus early, middle, and late. Yes. So, you know, if you want to have scillas, what would be your recommendations for if you wanted something that was maybe gently self seeding around? It, yeah. Could you achieve that across a, a wider season? Yes, you can. I mean, we will have scillas out from January till the end of May and then Peruviana will come out in June and then that's that's about it but Silicica is, is the all? first one to come out well I just I'll tell you why I'm smiling at that because Richard will know this because uh, if you go back 15 years Scylla Peruviana was something that you very very rarely saw uh, yeah. and you would only buy it at specialist plant sales like this mm. Richard has when his garden is open you would only buy it from people like that today it's for sale with lots of yeah. ordinary bulb companies if you like yeah it's um, all over the place yes and one of the things that i really i cannot understand i, I popped into a, a garden center the other day to actually get some compost and various bits and they had scylla peruviana and agapanthus in flower and this was second week in april and you think for goodness sake what's all that about well i tell you what it's about well i know what it's about <laughs> as well <laughs> no but can i just tell you something because interesting about agapanthus and that is last year i bought um, I think eight new plants of agapanthus just to try. I thought I remember seeing them. And they, they spent the winter in pots, they spent the winter under cold glass, no heat at all. Um, and I, they took them out the other day to make room for seedlings and things, and two of them are in flower already. Uh, right. And they, they, one of the attributes of the plant that I bought is the fact that it keeps repeat flowering. Um, it's going to do one of two things. It's either going to behave itself and do it very nicely, obligingly, yeah. or it's going to flower itself to death, and I don't know which it's yeah. going to do. Yeah. But it is nice that, I mean, Agapanthus, um, it's nice to have a repeat flowering one. Oh, yes. 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 That, yeah. You know. yeah. So from one blue flower, back to our other blue flowers, if we wanted our Scyllus to go through the months? Yes, well, Scylla salicica starts us off, and that's a shade-loving one, which is great because it brightens up those, those corners. Um, we've got, at the moment, we're just on the edge of one of my favourites, which is Liliohyacinthus. And at the minute you dig it up and look at the bulbs, you'll realise why it's called Liliohyacinthus, because it's got bulbs that look like lily bulbs. It's got scales. Big. Are they big? They're big. Yeah. I mean, they've got broad leaves. Yeah. It's only about 25 centimetres tall. And there's a blue form, which is quite nice, and there's a white form, which is stunning. I mean, just lovely, yeah. lovely mm. things. Um, we've got Amoena out in the garden at the minute, and we've also got Armoniaca, which is very similar to Siberica, but if you want to extend it, grow both, you know. Um, yes, one takes over. One takes over from the, from, from the other, yeah. Mm. Oh. But they're a lovely little group of plants. They really are. Yeah. So exciting. Yeah. There's so much to talk about. We haven't even talked about Corydalis yet. No. I love your Corydalis. <laughs> yes, we've got, 
we've got quite a, the thing about Corridalis, which is, <laughs> which is, and the, it, it applies to all bulbous stuff um, up to a point, is that it, you know, does its stuff. It comes up quite quickly, flowers quite quickly, disappears quite quickly, and you can have something else there. Mm. Um, and people think, oh, well, you can't put things on top of each other. You can put yeah, things on top yeah, of each yeah, other yeah. or yeah. underneath each other, whichever way you look at it. But you can get layers. And if you want to read about it, um, they're a bit old now, but I still think that, that Bowles, as E.A. Bowles' books, mm. Read my garden in spring or my garden in summer, and he'll talk about how he's got his his bulbs in layers, and it 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 it's the way to do it. So you can get the, the corner over there has got masses and masses of spring flowering crocuses in it, but also it's got a huge number of of autumn flowering crocuses in it as well that just come up come up earlier. Mm. Um, you can build up these... Well, autumn crocus, they tend to have their leaves in spring, don't they? They, they do. They flower in autumn, but the yes. leaves are leaves. probably through the, throughout the winter. And really. what's fascinating, um, it's all to do with... Well, it's all to do with you, the, the temperatures. But if something um, flowers in the autumn, it very often will actually set ripe seed at the same time as its spring flowering cousin. Oh, right. So the autumn yeah. flowering um, and the spring flowering cyclamen will be ripe, ripe almost the same, the same time. Amazing. And it's the same with the crocuses. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Wow. yeah. Yes. Well, the other strategy which some autumn things do is to actually produce their seeds unbelievably quickly. And there's an autumn flowering scylla that does that. I mean, you can got flowers on the top, you've got ripe seeds on the bottom of the spike. <laughs> and corridalises, again, they're the same. You'll have ripe seed at the bottom. And um, so you've got, if you're wanting seed off those, you've got to be jolly quick. Yeah. And you just touch them and they go. <laughs> That's why I was talking to you about corridalis earlier, because in our winter garden area, I mean, there's, there's vast tracks underneath shrubs and things, which would yeah. be ideal for some of yeah. those late winter, early spring yes. flowering corridalis. Yeah. But yeah. it's actually finding the seed from some of them. That's where Richard comes in because he's going to be digging some up. Yeah. And I've asked for, can I be on the list, please? Um, and you know, that's yeah, the kind of thing. Yeah, we can do you a bucket full. Yeah, that'd be lovely. <laughs> Absolutely lovely. Favourite Corydalis then? Any favourite ones? Yes, I think that, that the Solidus, which is one of the woodland ones, is a bulb with a, with a thing that looks a bit like a bulb, but it comes in all sorts of different colours. There are named ones, but I would save your money, actually, and get a mix. I mean, I don't... Well, I never recommend people getting mixed anything normally, but with mm. Corridalis, I would. Um, because you will quickly build up a range of colours from purples, whites, pinks, and the fabulous brick red ones. I mean, yeah. they're just yeah. gorgeous yeah. things. One of my favourites is um, uh, what the Corridalis called... Tory MP. Yes. Because it's true blue and it just goes on <laughs> no, and on. No, no, no. Yes. <laughs> I do love blue Corridalis. Yeah. And I think sometimes think of the kind of yellow weedy one and then just fail to engage with the well, I can't remember. Yeah, I well, can't remember the name of it. I've got one that is just about to bloom and planted that. It didn't sell for some reason. We bought it for, for to sell on the nursery. It didn't sell. So I thought, well, I'll put it in the garden. It's got wonderful sort of limey yellow foliage with blue flowers. Mm. And that's, that's, yes. A, yes. that's a quite a showstopper, I think. Yeah. 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 <laughs> no, the, I mean, those blue ones that flower later, there's some tremendous things. Spinners is mm. a really vigorous. I mean, I say that. If you're really hot and sunny and dry, then be careful yes yeah um but if you if you've got a, a good slightly moisture retentive soil then corridalis are great but Get which in. is 
<laughs> well, which is a good reason to actually apply something to your soil where you're improving yes. it all the time. Yeah. I mean, you know, good compost or proprietary yeah. uh, specification yes. that uh, you uh, specified soil improver that you buy in. I mean, it, it's important to do that. Well, it is. And it's important. I tell this story quite often, but my sister, bless her, whose birthday it was yesterday, um, she reckons she's a keen gardener, but bless her, she's not really. Um, <laughs> And she does have rotten soil. She's got chalk and about, you know, oh, I don't know, 10 centimetres if you're lucky. Really? And years ago, she said to me, um, how do I improve it? I said, organic matter, organic matter, organic matter. Um, a year later... How many she... husbands has she killed? No! <laughs> <laughs> she, um, a year later, she said to me, made no difference at all, made no difference at all. And she said, and I bought three bags. She said... <laughs> I said, well, when you put three tonnes in, let me know how you're yeah, getting on. Yeah, you know. yeah. So you can't, you know, you've got no, to... No, I think, I think people, people underestimate. Is, is important. Yeah, they yeah. underestimate the bulk that you yeah. need. Yeah. Um, and if you think you need one bag, you need ten at least. Yes, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's... If you're making a potting compost, then it, it applies the same, really, to your, to your soil. Unless you're putting 15% of something yeah. in, it's making no difference. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we've talked about, well, probably only a small fraction of the wonderful plants in this garden, but I suppose we'd better move on to some FLOMO. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I suppose you always have something you want, but um, I'm not going to let you go first, because I go first, because right. I always have the most simple thing. Um, and um, I remember buying some wonderful anemones from you in the past uh, when I've come along to your garden opening. This isn't one I've got from you, though, but I did see it on, uh, on Instagram and really desperately wanted it. Um, Nemorosa yerderamusum. Ah, yes. Mm, I mean, I have no idea if I've said that right, but little stuff. No, there's anybody else. Yeah. It doesn't it's, it's, <laughs> it's funny. I mean, we've got it, but it's not out yet. Oh, well, it's a later it's one. It's quite a bit under glass, maybe. I'm yes, not sure. Yeah. yeah. But they're lovely. And then there's anemone nemorosas. And then once you've done those, get into apenninas because, oh, <laughs> they're, they're even more exciting because they're a double forms and they've, they've just got... There's just a, a look about them. I mean, they grow, well, on the Apennine Mountains, southern Italy things, and they're, they're lovely, lovely things. And Most of them, I have to say, they do bulk up quite a lot, too, oh, they don't do. they? Yeah. And so, they I mean, go you know, if you're buying one pot, people are thinking, well, three pounds for a tiny little pot of that. Oh, that's a bit steep, you know, I'm stingy. Mm. Mm. No, well, it's, that's, not, that's fine. They'll, they'll, what the, I speak from if, experience. Yes, if, they're, <laughs> if you're a control freak in your garden and you don't want things to move out of you know line well don't go for no, lemony nemorosa no. they will do what they want to do and they'll go where they want to go so in the garden here we've got a rather nice thing called monstrosa i planted it in the bed but it much prefers to grow in the path so we leave it there <laughs> you know and they're well, like why that. fight nature well that's it you know you can't they're, sometimes they're like that and it's quite i mean i think it's it's important this personally you occasionally go to it. I mean, I can think of a couple of gardens that, you know, if anything dares to move out of place, it's, it's sort of chopped off. Um, a lady came to our garden the first time we ever had it open, and she said to me, she said, um, I like your garden. She said, it's well-ordered, but not corseted. <laughs> <laughs> well, similar things have been said about mine, I have to say, because... You know, there is a looseness there. There's an yes. informality there. Yeah. I mean, if you came to my garden in the middle of the winter, you'd just see straight hedges, clean paths, yeah. hopefully. But, you know, yeah. you see what is yeah. technically the bare bones, I suppose. Yeah. But 
I mean, the whole thing is in, as the spring and summer progresses, there's yes. this ebullience of yes. looseness. Well, a good garden, it should look as if the gardener died three weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> the trouble is, if it's four weeks, it looks dreadful. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's spot on. Yeah, mine probably looks like I died mm. about a year ago. So <laughs> I've gone too far. So, um, Richard, are you going to give us a flomo? <laughs> is there a thing at the top of your oh. wish list? Yes, I mean, I, you mentioned earlier that we're going to do redo a bit of a bit of the garden, and and I will. I want sort of three or four more really choice trilliums. That's what top of my mm. top of my list, really. Well, trilliums. Um, the thing about trilliums is that you see them sometimes um, for sale, um, and they do appear to be rather expensive. Yeah. And the reason is because they're grown from seed by nurserymen who know yeah. what they're doing. Yeah. And the pot you're buying with a flower on, it could be as much as seven to ten years yes. old. Yeah. Um, and that time really does have to be paid for. Well, that's right. I mean, a lot of nurserymen will say that they have to double the price every year. Mm. You know? Yes. Well, thankfully, they don't do that with trilliums. No. They'd be an awful lot. But um, <laughs> I would just love to grow, um, to grow more of the really the really choice ones. We've, yeah. got a f we've got a few, but um, can't have too many. No. Can't have too many trilliums. No. It's a maxim for life. Go on then, Mr Gray, finish us up with some Flomo. Well, I had an exciting couple of weeks at home because I don't know whether you saw a picture that I put on Instagram of um, what was it, Aram Creticum. Ah, yes. It comes from Crete, I presume. Yes, yeah. And Richard's probably seen this in the wild, and it's one mm. of those plants that is, it's fleeting. Mm. I mean, it doesn't have any season at all. It's had two weeks of flower. There may be one flower left on my clump now, but I spotted it when, uh, probably at its best time, because there were ten buds altogether, but three mm. of them were out, mm. and the other seven were about to come. And I think that's when I like cherry trees, mm. when the flowers are just, just bursting. A, yes. I don't want to see this great mass of flower. That's over. Yeah. It's blown yeah. it. Yeah. I, I pre much prefer being teased. <laughs> Yeah. And Erin Creticum is um, lovely, a creamy, creamy yellow, this lovely spades. Mm. Um, they're just so exotic, so beautiful, but I would love to have the white form. The white it. form. It's, yeah. That's a cracker, isn't it? Yes. yes. Yeah. But again, it will be fleeting. And, yes. You know, it is a plantsman's plant, I think, because yeah. um, nobody else would want well to grow it because it doesn't last long yeah. enough. A very well-known um, plantsman in the, in, in the bulb world called Ray Cobb, who lives outside Nottingham. And if you go to his garden, he's, it's seeded, Aram Creticum, all over the place. He's got, oh, he must have 500 flowers on it. Oh. I mean, just stunning. But my other interesting story about this chap is that he, he's very, very keen on, on grape hyacinths, and we swap grape hyacinths all the time. And he rang me up, um, oh, about 18 months ago, at the age of 97, saying, <laughs> saying had I got bulbs of... A particular one he fancied growing it and said well actually I haven't and I didn't think and I said but I've got seed and I thought gosh offering seed to a 97 year old <laughs> you know, but, but no oh yes that'll be fine he said yeah well he's now 99 well there you are yeah there you are yeah never too late never too late <laughs> never no. too late and the words that, uh, dear late Prince Philip the Duke of Edinburgh 
just get on with it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, certainly if you want to grow anything from uh, seed, and certainly if you want to grow bulbs from seed, and of course, we always point people to Alan's video on growing tulips from seed because it's helped thousands of people so far. I'm sure it will continue to mm. inspire people to grow bulbs from seed, as you do, Richard. Yeah. Good luck with the garden opening. Thank you. And do you know yeah. when you're going to be on Gardeners World yet? No, we don't. I mean, it's fascinating. It's going to be in the autumn or next spring. But one of the reasons, and it just shows you what a funny old time we've had in East Anglia, Monty Don's garden is way ahead of ours. He's in the West Country, isn't he? He's in the West Country. Mm. He's a bit further north than us. But he, they reckoned, the, the camera crew reckoned he was a fortnight ahead of ours. Um, so well, if they showed ours, it would be out of sync. This is the <laughs> but you know, the thing about that is, his is finished, you've got yours to come. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and what no, I'm not, there is to come. <laughs> I'm not, um, we don't worry about that. We're, this garden is late compared with ones two miles away. Mm. And it's because of all these, partly because of all these lovely trees, mm. um, which we absolutely love, but it does cool it down. Mm. And also, um, we've got heavy old clay soil. The other thing um, is I've been noticing sitting here the bird song. Oh, oh, it's, it's, fabulous. Fabulous. it's absolutely fabulous. It's wonderful, yeah. Uh, well, thank you, Richard. That's okay. No, it's good to see you. even more of a treat than I could have possibly imagined. Good. Really. Yeah. I, it's been absolutely great to be able to spend time not just uh, in this garden, but with the owner as well, because you can ask all the silly questions that you wouldn't dare ask <laughs> when he's surrounded by all these fans. <laughs> so it's been absolutely lovely. Thank you, mm. Richard. Happy gardening. Bye-bye. Mm. Bye. Hey, Fordis here. Just to say thank you so much for listening to Talking Dirty. You are now officially our favourite person. If you really liked it, please do subscribe because we'll be back for more plant-loving mayhem next week. And as you're our new favourite person, we don't want you to miss out. If you've got a question for Alan and the experts, you can email it to hello at getgardeningnow.co.uk. So happy gardening and we'll see you, oh favourite person, next time. <laughs>